0: Um, This is Giles Peterson, this is the Brownswood basement, we are in Finsbury Park Arsenal, sort of Highbury, in that kind of cross area, and um, it's another Brownswood, not actually Brownswood, it's another Giles Peterson Worldwide podcast, and um, I'm joined today by Joe Davis of Far Out Records. And um, I thought it'd be really nice to speak to you because you've been going for quite some time now with the record label Far Out, and you've been around for obviously for for almost as long as me, and um, you're still putting out some great records and some really interesting stuff coming out. I didn't really want to go into the York back catalogue because I think people know about it but yeah. t- tell us a little bit about you know I mean God you went to Brazil you didn't know how to speak Bra- Portuguese you were coming from South Hall in you know, West London you were coming to the Belvedere Arms in Richmond we met there um, you were into soul and your funk and stuff that your brother was playing you were very young when you were coming to the Belvedere how you got in I've got no idea <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then you just decided you got into Brazilian music and you
1: went over there and you've been there ever since but living sort of between between the two countries, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, we're based in London still, of course, you know, um, but spend a lot of time and have been spending a lot of time in Brazil since the 80s, actually. I went there, you know, we're a soul boy, jazz music, jazz club scene, got into the whole kind of... Uh, swing of going out when I was like 15, 16 and just hitting... I mean, the best clubs to go to were jazz clubs, really, because everything else was a bit stale, the black music scene or the soul music scene, and then became a bit more interesting shortly after in the late 80s. But... um, yeah, just got into Brazilian music through American releases and stuff like you did probably as well. You know, a lot of things like I too, and a lot of the soul DJs used to play in the 70s, a lot of American Brazilian music or releases that were coming from America and just got into it. And we were in a time then where everyone was sort of discovering music from the past, from the 60s and 70s, because new music had become quite stale with the changes of technology and whatnot. Although there were some good underground things coming out, of course, you know, I think that was partly the reason or, or you know, the whole reason why that movement started at that time. Um, And then later on the rare groove scene as well, you know. So, yeah, I just got into it, and I particularly had a passion for Brazilian football and and the music, so I just started to go to Brazil. I think I went in 1986, so I knew you then, and came back with a load of records, discovered some uh, brilliant things, like the first records by Azimuth and Joyce and whatever, and, you know, still at that time I was DJing as well quite a bit in bars and sort of setting up little wine bar gigs in the suburbs and some things in London as well. And, yeah, I mean, you know, just started DJing and selling records, really. I wouldn't say it was so much as a record dealer. It's just discovering records out there because there's a huge catalogue of music. And interesting enough, you know, a lot of the great music from Brazil in the 60s and 70s didn't come out or get exported due to the, to the movement of the dictatorship. So... um this was kind of new to people, really. No one really knew tell what me, was kind of going when,
0: on. Tell me what it felt like when you um, when you first <laughs> went. Well, no, when you went, first went over there, and like we're talking about, and you know, your parents are from India, mm. you're a kid from sort of West London, and you go to Brazil for the first time. Um, how did it feel to you just like landing in Rio? And did you already have some contacts? Had you sort of set up the way for you?
1: Actually, I met a guy who was selling Frank Sinatra Brazilian records in a record fair and he invited me to São Paulo. He was an English guy who'd lived there since the 60s and he's got a record shop, shop still to this day. Um, in a place called Piñera. so I landed in 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 São Paulo, and immediately you feel the tropicalness of the country. You know, it's something that I felt quite close to being from India, actually, or was born here. But I had this kind of curiosity about the place for for that reason, and 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 you know, going there, is just so wild and crazy. I remember going to Sao Paulo and there was like you know people selling sugarcane on the streets and you know it's just like some memory that I'd had of going to India back in 75 it was like very close to that and also the people were much warmer and much you know easier to deal with and very relaxed which is something that Indian people can be or my at least my family was and I felt quite close You know, and had instant relationships with people in Sao Paulo. So that was nice. So it it was a very strange cultural shock. I mean, a lot of my friends are saying, what the hell are you doing going over there? You know, they'd never even, apart from sort of watching football, they'd never imagined or known anything about Brazil. We didn't have as much access to information that you have Today, even back then, I even remember I had one of those round dial up phones when I used to call the guy to arrange you know me coming over. He used to sneak downstairs at night and call him and say look i 'm coming over and i 've got a flight blah blah blah, I was very young, I was seventeen at the time, so it was a bit of an experience, I have to say, but you know musically, it was just amazing. I remember I bought like a thousand records. it was really cheap over there because they had you know still the times of this incredible inflation. Um, in their country so the money would change and it was a very strange thing won't really go into it but everything was just so dirt cheap out there I mean I think I spent 500 pounds and bought like a thousand records and managed to stay in a few hotels in Rio and you know and and just have a really good time and buy a whole catalogue of music and just discover so much and you know it was quite clear then that this country had been influenced by so many different things, Um, all all the history of itself, you know, like there was a lot of European influence, a lot of jazz influence, a lot of funk influence, a lot of American influence, and all the music that I'd bought, which was something I just really didn't know about, you know, apart from the records that we'd had from America at the time. And again, it's just, you know, a question of learning and developing and, and knowing more reading covers, slowly learning Portuguese, And I found myself going there again in 1988 and then 1989. And then by about 1990, this scene or the scene that had, you know, happened in London, the whole acid jazz scene, which it wasn't called that until then, um, kind of a bit, it had gone through all the circles of, of music, of black music playing, you know, rare grooves, Latin jazz, salsa, you know, old sort of breaks whatever it'd been through the whole sphere of everything boogaloo whatever <laughs> and at that time was i was sort of geared up with a lot of music i'd been going to been to brazil a few times by then And uh, people started asking me for records much more than they had previously, including yourself. (laughs) And it became quite a kind of big thing in that scene Mm -hmm. at that time around 1990. So between like 1991, 92, 93, I was going there like every month, buying records, coming back, uh, selling them, raising enough money to go again. At the same time, building some relationships because I became known. Um, in Brazil by some of the artists who were pretty much doing nothing except for a few kind of sponsored shows at that time. And they had been famous, the artists that I worked with, like Azimuth and Joyce and Marcus Valley. They'd had great success in Brazil, uh, but, you know, it was kind of stale. I think the 80s was quite a bad time. Like in a lot of countries, it was quite a bad time for music. Um, so, yeah, I mean, building up relationships with people uh, in in that way, you know sort of trying to get ready to do a label, basically. And I remember I'd started the label with Ollie Buckwell from Dorado, which you introduced me to actually back in 91. And we had a couple of, like, house twelves out, and I just wasn't kind of into it. So that's when I'd stopped and really went for it and really tried to learn about production. Having actually already done an, a, a couple of years course in sound engineering and in music and obviously a lot of experience DJing by then and travelling... Um, I decided to kind of, you know, start a label. And I remember we were doing the compilations. We'd done the Brazilica compilation, Blue Brazil, and Guy Trazai's good friend. He was helping me out trying to sort of raise capital or to try and do a label with a major, but it just wasn't happening. I mean, it just, nobody seemed to be that interested. So luckily made enough money to start out of (laughs) record sales and, you know, had built relationships with a few people over quite a long time. And I think the first project we actually done recorded was that soul jazz album called Brazil. So I helped Stuart and the guys at Soul Jazz put that whole project together and that went quite well, um, re- very well actually. So I thought, well, you know, it's obvious to, to kind of do this. And also I was quite bored of being sort of labelled as a as a, as a a record dealer because it, it's not really what I was doing or set out to do. It's just I used to go there for music because I loved it and wanted to bring that forward and not finding any new tunes because I'd discovered so much about Brazilian music. It was just time to kind of move into that role and and basically kind of make make records, really, with some of those artists and some people that, you know, that I'd met that weren't so known in Brazil. So that's how it started in 94. And I think the first project we'd done was the Friends from Rio album, uh, which went really well. And I'd also started to move with some people in London, you know, through the club scene, like Delata and the guys from Batu at the time, you know, and they'd done some work for us and started, you know, we started putting out some releases by them. And then I'd already saved enough money through record sales, actually old selling old vinyl. And I had met Azimuth, which have become an integral part of the label And I asked them, you know, would you be interested to sort of record a new album? Also, I was very interested in technology and old technologies and stuff. And I said to them, look, I really want to do this in an old way because I've just recorded an album. It's okay, but it's not really what I want. But I think you can give me what I want and I can give you what I want. So we went into the studio with all their old keyboards, Batrami's keyboards, and recorded the Carnival album, which was quite successful, actually, at the time. And then we just went into sort of running the label and and putting out the releases we've armed with a couple of 12-inch releases and uh a couple of albums already recorded and that's how it all started really
0: (laughs) it's it's an amazing story it's really good to recap actually um i tell you what we'll do now because um we have spoken a lot i think we should play a few tunes and i did want to just focus on the new stuff because you've got so much new stuff coming out Mm. we know about your history people can go to the website anyway and get into your
1: discography what is the website it's www.faroutrecordings.com plural and MySpace as well, MySpace at f- myspace/fireoutrecordings.com
0: So there's loads of stuff, uh, loads of um, back catalogue stuff to look into. But I want to get into this man, first of all. This is an artist that I first actually heard when I went to, well, when I got a copy from Ubiquity of the Arthur Virakai record, the Arthur Virakai record that nobody had ever heard before, or that I certainly hadn't heard before, a very obscure one. And then I was Ooh. like, this is amazing. And then you've gone on to actually record some new music with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, having had a a good knowledge of what he's done in the past, and he's worked on a lot of really crazy albums like the... Um, the first album by Vanessa Cantavaria's band um, on former I can't remember the band's name now but it's just arranged so much good stuff and then that album is just sublime and it got completely slated by the press when it came out and he's an absolute genius so I wanted to bring him into the team great um, and we've produced this first album you know first live album of his for many years and it's I think it's pretty good anyway
0: okay so we'll play a bit of that we'll play some Antonio Adolfo we'll play something from Zeep which is the new sort of Chris Frank, um, Nina Miranda Project and a few other bits and bobs and then we'll talk again. Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> That's really good. Thank you. <laughs> really good. I'm loving that sound. Tell me about this band we just heard.
1: Yeah, it's a band called Benario. I mean, always looking for new hybrids, new things to do on the label. And, you know, I was going down the beach on my bicycle one Sunday afternoon, and I saw these kids playing a version of Maiden Voyage. This was about three years ago, loaded with Dave Brinkworth, who's Mark Pritchard's sort of engineer, or they used to work together on the Harmonic 33 projects. Um, we were doing some sessions over there, like a workshop, really, a few years ago when things were kind of rocking and things were good. We were just going over to Brazil to see what we could find. And I found this band on the beach. Then they had a show a couple of days later, so I went to the show. And they're just a bunch of, like, 21 to 25-year-old kids just doing their own thing, got their own sound. They've got two drummers. Everything's played live. The band's called Binario. And they're just the most incredible bunch of people, really. Just a lovely bunch of kids waiting to do something, you know, and develop their band and their thing. And they play on the beach. They do little shows around the kind of the cultural circuit in Rio and universities and whatnot, you know, and they're just we're just looking to break that band next year. And we've done a whole out. We we actually originally done five tracks with them in not a great studio actually. And we had a single out by this band called Camaradas, and that was the same group. And I really enjoyed the sessions and we worked really well with them. And I said, look, why don't we, you know, go to the studio and do an album because they had enough repertoire. So we went to an amazing studio in Rio, probably the best studio, and got the engineer. this engineer called Mario George. He's an amazing engineer and just hooked them up live and we've done this amazing live album and there's no sampling, no processing, everything is done live, even the samples are played out of amplifiers and the whole band just records live and that's how they would sound if they're in a room. So they've got this whole live thing going on which we want to try and push over the next uh, you know, year or so when we release the record next year. And you know they're just an incredible band, you know. And we've got a few videos already made. There's a lot of energy there, and that's what I. That's something that I've struggled with in the past with working with some people. But there's just so much energy and ideas and a lot of stimulation coming from them. And I think you know, is that a great age thing future? Do you think? Um, Yes and no. I mean, you know, there's a lot of energy from, you know, people like Marcus, Azimuth and Joyce as well, but just new ways, you know, because these guys are really hooked into MySpace, into YouTube, into all these new technologies, you know, so it's just nice, you know, coordinating new things for them, like we've got their, their MySpace page up now, I think it's forward slash binario. And, you know, we'll be, we've will be we got, like, five videos ready and, and a little film about the recording, which is quite exciting. I don't always get the opportunities to do that um, on projects, so it's quite exciting, you know, and at the same time, nice to find, you know, people that are creating something very generic and very unique, which is what Far Out kind of is with its spread of, of artists, you know, so... I mean, all the tracks we just heard, they were very... Um, the sound is really good. Yeah, I mean, I got kind of a bit... I was working with a producer called Rock Hunter who's really good, actually, and we started working together. Actually, he was engineering with me on the first... Azimuth uh, album that we have done and we have worked together for 10 years but it gets a bit stale because you kind mm. of get you know you're working with the same guy on the same projects over and over and I've always really been into live music I mean they're the songs that we've always listened to we've always listened to live music I love electronic music as well but I find it very confusing and very hard to determine what to do and I'm not a specialist in that so my field is really live music because I learnt about it I studied it you know I've worked with it I know it I listen to it so I actually bought dave brinkworth who's been producing these next set of uh, releases he's produced the arthur Verocai practically on his own and he produced the antonio adolfo the new azimuth and he produced that project with me and i need somebody like him who's so specialist and developed in recording and mixing live music and he's been doing it for 25 years and I mean, worked with jethro Tull in their studio along with mark for for sort of 10 years so he's just so kind of developed in in live music and, and and he's bought a new sound or helped create a new sound and a new energy within the label the records of which are coming out in the next year or so or beginning to come out
0: so we had uh, a track from Arthur Vera Kyle are there going to be some vocal tracks
1: on the album as well actually yeah it is it is a very vocal album and he's written about eight pieces with vocals and we've got a few singers on on different tracks but i thought i'd play that one because it's a bit more instrumental and a bit more kind of not typical of the album and the style we've already had that single out biz which done quite well but that's kind of more of a left field one really on the albums. i thought i'd play that yeah and antonio adolfo who um looking at the bit of blurb that comes with the
0: cd he was the first person to play fender roads in brazil <laughs> right
1: i think so yeah um, that was on the brazooka albums i think batrami of azimuth was not far behind him and certainly had a whole array of keyboards in the early 70s more than what he had but he's he's just an incredible pianist like jazz pianist and and brazilian music pianist and he's a professor uh, very articulated, you know, It's hugely intelligent and he actually has universities for Brazilian music and jazz music in Brazil. I think he's like uh, he's got a, some sort of honour in music in America, so he lives a bit in America as well. And, uh, you know, he's just an incredible person and very easy to work with. And I, w- we approached him to do this sort of kind of take on Brazuca, which was that psychedelic project he had, which was kind of a early 70s, late 60s, kind of psychedelic music, but very lyrically, kind of, very rich in its lyrical content, and he had this lyricist called Tiberia Gaspar writing the songs, and we got him on board as well to write the song, and Tony asked him to write these tracks for this album, the lyrics at least. So, it's a kind of take on the Antonio Dolfo Brazuca albums. Um, Yeah, we've got his two daughters singing and and parts of the old band that were still around and wanted to do the project. So, it's a very particular record and a very nice record, but he's just an exceptional person, you know, an exceptional musician. Sounds brilliant, that track. And uh, and then we moved
0: on to the new project from um, Chris Frank and um, Nina Miranda, who were in Smoke City, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've known Chris since I started the label for for a long time, since he had a band called Batu, and we've always wanted to do um, a, a project together, and I've always wanted to work with Nina. So, you know, these are friends, people in London that I've kind of grown up with in the music scene, and it was just so nice to, to, to actually have the opportunity to put this album out for them, really, and it's a really good record yeah. and very strong, produced by Chris... Again, you know, because I produce most of the records or at least have a say or 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 kind of A and R everything. It was very nice for him to come up with an exceptional album. I think it's a very good record and there's lots of different sort of styles and variations on the album. And I think Nina's quite a great singer, you know, and she's you know should be doing a lot more, you know.
0: I think the whole thing looks great. The artwork's brilliant and uh, it's got it's got a humour to it as well. It's it's light in a really good way.
1: yeah, it's it, it, it's the characters, isn't it? You know, again, very generic, very personal. It's really about what they are, you know, the album, which is great. You know, it's great to have that as a as a tool, you know, to, to market and, and sell the record, you know. So, I mean, it's great, you know. We're just starting, it's just coming out kind of now. So we expect, you know, to do quite a lot of action around the record over the next year. So we've got lots of things lined up, tours and stuff. I
0: think we're going to do a session at of for the BBC as well.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic, if you do. that would be good. And we just yeah. played a track from um, from Troubleman
0: from his Time Out of Mind album. <laughs> yeah. And that's Mark Pritchard, and that still sounds
1: great, right? Yeah, he's, again, he's on the label. I started working with him because I knew kind of Tom Middleton and him, and I asked him to do a remix for me for years. And I kind of, I was really into his old Reload stuff and all the electronic things he'd done, because I still keep a good hand in, in the whole electronic music thing. And... And, and Mark just became a really good friend and he's so into his, his music and you know, slowly we built up a friendship and he was developing you know, this whole Time Out of Mind album which actually took about four years to make. I mean, that's why the next record hasn't come out because he's still creating something new and it's great to work with people like that. I just don't want to make an album and put it out. He's really trying to develop and create a new hybrid, a new sound and he's listening to different things and I'm quite an important part of that for him um i think and that's why he's on our label i mean he's doing some other electronic projects and he's had some releases but he's really deep into this album and you know it tells in the end you know because you end up making records that will last more than have a shelf life for more than sort of three or four months you know so yeah i mean he's great he's just been over to to dj at a few festivals and stuff and he's um it has gone back to Australia, which was great, because that's how I had the opportunity to work with Dave Brinkworth. Right. <laughs> Otherwise I may never add, so you know, it's a good thing. And he's doing some great stuff. He's built his studio now and he's really on it. And he's really into electronic music and he's into grime and into, into dubstep and all the latest things with electronic music. And he's really studying this, so we expect that to be extremely good. Don't know how long it will be. It might be a few years yet, but <laughs> it's all good.
2: me vaga Lua, vago a te procurar. Vejo os faróis, vejo as e estrelas, mas quero só a seus t- dois.
0: That's a little something
1: which has been remixed for you by Mr. Beatnik. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Our little friend Nick. Yeah, uh, there's uh, two tracks there by Demo Acoustico, which the album came out last year, which was the last project that uh, i done with Rock Hunter, um, or the last release he, he's put out on the label. It's a great album. It took a long time to do, and finally it came out. It got well appreciated, and we're still kind of playing around with it. We've got another EP coming out. We've got this guy, Paul White, and, you know, that's Beatniks, one of Beatniks' re-edits. We've got this kind of six-track EP coming out. I think Danny Breaks has done a mix as well, so that's all good. But, yeah, it's nice. He's good. I I thought that um, they were actually an old band, No, they're a young group of uh, musicians, quite hippie kind of people. They lived in London, actually, and that's how I met them. And just when we were developing this project and writing songs, they um, went back to Rio, so then I had to communicate with them there. And Rock Hunter Steve, he went to Brazil a few times to kind of work on the music and work on new songs that they had written and so on. So, yeah, I mean, it's a a beautiful record, so we're still trying to kind of do things with it, really.
0: I love the way that you're mixing the new and the old um, on the label, and, uh, of course, the azimuth is your your sort of rhythm section that's just powering away from big history with all those milestone records and re-recording them and on this occasion right now, putting them together with Spiritual South. This is one of my remixes of the last few months. It's been a big record for me in my box.
1: Yeah, it's remixed by Mark Robertson of uh, Spiritual South. He's great. You know, he's writing his album now. I don't know quite. I think it's Raw Fusion it's coming out on and he's, he's actually doing a, an Arthur Verracai remix for us, but Azimuth, they're very sort of solid part of Far Out because like you say we used them they, a couple of them played on the Antonio um, you know Adolfo album and they give me opportunities to do other things and kind of they know everything they've worked in psychedelic music and rock music in every sort of sphere of Brazilian music and Batrami's an amazing arranger so it's just great you know to have them on the label and work, be working with them
0: Good take on Brazilian music, Mark Robinson, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, he's followed. Robinson, know, Robertson. Robertson. Robertson, you know, sorry, Mark. might be Robinson actually. <laughs> the other one is releasing. Exactly I, think, I think it's Robertson. Spiritual South. Yeah, he, you know, he's following a lot of music, you know, for a long time. A buying old records. I think he's a, he used to be a record dealer, even, you know. So, you can't really go wrong if you're producing and you know what to do in the studio, and, and, and you really are kind of, you know, you have a good knowledge and sensibility for music, you know. you'll do well with that and he's followed a lot of latin music and he's really heavily into brazilian music but it's nice to work with you know the you know these guys you know people at four Hero, ig culture digo uh you know and all the people that we've worked with over the years almost everyone from peanut butter wolf to ronnie size whatever you know it's great to kind of you know have those guys remixing your music because you come up with quite new sort of ideas, new sounds, new things. There may have been some, you know, in the last couple of remixes or the electronic things that you've heard. And for me, that's quite important. It's always been part of the label since day one. You know, we, I think we were the first ones ever to do a remix whole album, a concept project of, of remixes, which is the Misturada series. And that came out quite well because it was like, you know, getting people, to, you know, also in the same way, having music that's so naive to people is always quite interesting to see what the results would be. And there's a couple of Paul White remixes. He kind of doesn't really know that much about Brazilian music, but he's made a couple of new sort of hybrids, new sounds, new vibes in, in, in this new remix that we got. And that's also very important because mm. it's a question of developing, evolving as we all are. And I think you have to think on that always when you're running a label, as well as doing all of these classical kind of records, you know. So what is your roster right now, today? Uh, Trouble Man, Joyce, Marcus Valley, Azimuth, of course, who we spoke about, uh, Still Going Strong, new album coming, killer version of Butterfly with Arthur Vorakai arrangements and also Arthur Veracay. Uh Demo Acoustico... Um, there's more. Antonio Adolfo, Zeep, Binario, this rock group. There's about 10 to 15 artists, you yeah. know, actively there. And there's the whole sort of set of compilations that we do, like the Far Out Brazil, the Brasilica um, thing. And we've also got some other compilations of old music, hopefully one by you as well, eventually. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, you know, just keeping on going with, with these things. And
0: uh, how many people have you got working for you? Four people. Okay, so it's a nice little... Private enterprise and you 've kept it independent right you 've never sold out to a major record label you 've probably had a couple
1: of offers, but you 've kept it
0: strictly independent
1: yeah, I think you know keep you know the whole thing of 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 being free really to do what you want i mean it 's hard, as you probably know uh, from a lot of people they people find it hard to to um, to 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 operate and to keep this thing going, but ever since day one, I knew that product and having releases was the key to it but actually you know we have to spend a lot of money on production because we actually produce everything at source and and you know that comes you know from nothing you know we have to create money and, and, and you know capital basically to bring in a new band or a new artist and that's why we've kept working with the same people and luckily over the last couple of years we've been able to develop things and have some new artists on the label but it's it's really tough to actually have production you know money as well as sort of running a label because it is quite tough out there and you know we have to see where the industry goes. But we've been quite lucky because we've always been active on producing new records and, you know, we've been able to keep an interest um, and that kind of has its financial sort of reward in the end or or not even reward but you're able to keep going if you have enough control but there are issues relating to running an independent label which is quite hard i mean it's it's a very tough industry and it has been for the last few years i wish i just had these records 10 years ago that's all i can say yeah But, yeah, it's it's evolution and and development, so, you know, hopefully we're going in the right way and I'm making the right choices.
0: And, uh, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed that you've been pretty on point with is, number one, the publishing side of a lot of the artists, because you sort of look after the publishing as well as the record label. And uh, you've also been very much on point when it's come to placing your music in films or on adverts, and that's become a big part of the whole business now, right?
1: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean it is a huge part of the business, and often you'll find companies that will sponsor, um, if you know, productions or songs or whatever for advertising campaigns and stuff. I mean, I wouldn't say that we're so active on it, but it has been a very kind of important part of of keeping uh, the bank manager happy, really, because you you are in a position to have control, and I think you know the the the, the structure of the business as it is today it's not really appropriate and it's a bit out of date. So by fault, really, you know... I started to publish the records sort of a few years, few years into the label, and publish what I can and done deals with my artists and stuff. But that's given you a lot more control, which is what you need. And also, of course, it gives you a regular sort of stream of revenue, which helps you survive really. Because a lot of people even come to me and say, "God, how do you do that? You know, how do you still manage to make records? Because they're not easy and cheap to make, and the artists get you know advances and stuff." So. Um, you know, it, it's hard, but you've got to kind of keep every sort of uh, possibility open, you know, uh, in terms of the revenue. And that's what we've been lucky enough to do as we've evolved. And that's really helped us where maybe my peers haven't been so lucky, really, with, with their labels, you know. So, Yeah. Who are your
0: inspirations? What record labels would you say? You know, you go, wow, that's something that I still sort of look towards or you're still inspired by what they're releasing as their labels around?
1: I think Talking Loud was one, definitely, which kind of helped me a lot in terms of even direction and and stuff. There ain't so many, you know, because it's always been a very unique approach and a very individual way of moving, you know, and... I don't think, you know, there, there are labels. I love the music of Talking Loud. Acid Jazz, I mean, Eddie Piller was was a bit of a genius, really, in his day with what he'd done. But there hasn't... You know, unfortunately, I have to say that, you know, there hasn't been many labels that have kind of, you know, I would base my model on other than, OK, the obvious ones like Ninja, Warp, you know, Talking Loud, but it was part of a major. But they they've been kind of quite a good sort of... Um, quite a good, quite good labels to look at, even though it's completely different music. Although there is a lot of crossover, obviously it's been quite interesting looking at how they sort of have developed and what they've done. But they've been DJ-led labels normally. Uh, well, I think Warp's not, but Ninja. And I haven't really. I've had to sacrifice that side of my life to kind of do what I'm doing um but anyway you know that's it you know and it's just a shame to have seen a lot of labels sort of end really you know because of either even in the majors or 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 in the independent circuit you know and it kind of it's a bit of a shame really and a lot of i know a lot of independent artists who run their own labels are really struggling at the moment and it's a very hard time So, you know, I wouldn't model the label on anything. I think possibly people would model themselves on Far Out. But I don't know if you were starting a label today, if, uh, you know, if you hadn't got the investment and the, you know, appropriate direction it's going to be tough you know it's been a real pleasure speaking to you joe today it's been a while
0: that we've um, been able to sort of just connect and talk about music and fortunately you've bought a few old records you've put your old record dealer hat on today so hopefully we're gonna do a bit of hustling upstairs and just putting my my radio head on um I, i really am thankful that you know there are labels like yourselves who can give me music that i really want to play and uh and I hope that you're going to carry on doing it you're going to finish off with a couple of tunes now you're going to play a track from Joyce who is the queen and um, after that um, the daughter of um,
1: Alex Maleros Alex
0: Maleros Sabrina who's been in the studio tell us about the two last tracks before we say goodbye
1: yeah Joyce is um, you know is also a very important part of the labels we've done like a samba jazz record which we've been always wanting to do it's just straight up jazz Brazilian jazz it's a beautiful record coming out later on this year so I don't need to say much about her because our fans probably do and then Sabrina we've just been in uh brazil with daniel malnick uh bluey's son of incognito and he's producing the second record of sabrina's which i've been helping him with and there's a beautiful track it's a it's a demo phase so it hasn't been mixed but it's beautiful again arranged by arthur Verica who's also becoming a very important part of our team thank you yeah and uh you're very important too in this huh? You know, one thing, like one, you. one
0: thing I was going to say as well is um, it's a real shame on this week that there was a press release that came out from Straight No Chaser magazine because they're going to be folding. Well, they've got one more issue to go and then they're going to kind of change the way that they mm. are releasing their stuff a little bit like the record industry. You've got to change your models. And and of course, um, I think Straight No Chaser and Paul Bradshaw in particular, they've had a big part to play over the last what nearly 20 years. Now.
1: Yeah, it's a real shame. Actually, I read that email, I think, two days ago. I got it and I've been meaning to call Paul. Yeah, it's a, a real shame. But again, it's the sign of, you know, you've got to keep up with with how things are moving, how things are going. And the publishing industry, you know, is probably the same as the music industry. All of those media industries, DVDs, films, music, it's changing, you, you know, know.
0: But you know what? I think it's all good, because I think that change is a good mm. thing. And um, Paul's going to find his new route. And um, I'm sure that uh, we will all keep searching for the music. Let's play some Joyce. And thanks again, mate.
1: Thank you. Thank <music> you.